Good morning then, 7.32. Tomorrow morning, just to remind you, you'll be waking up to a new year, but also a new decade. No doubt hoping things will be better than previous years. Perhaps the economy would be an area he'd like to see improve. Well, earlier this month, the US and China did announce they'd agreed to a limited trade agreement, referred to as the Phase 1 deal. There's hope of closure on the Brexit front, but... Is the possibility of ending these global uncertainties enough reason to be optimistic? Let's discuss further with Professor Hwa Kyun Kim from the Department of Finance at Texas A&M University. Good morning to you from Seoul. Thank you for taking the time. My pleasure, Alex. Good morning. Good morning. So despite concerns generally over the economy, which are never far away, U.S. stocks actually did pretty well in 2019, for what it's worth. Let, let's start with that barometer of of the year that's just gone. What's your assessment? Yeah, so I think you're right. So, for instance, like S&P 500 um, went up about like 28% this year. So if you buy the stock in January 2nd and then sell sometime now, then I think at least you get about 28%. In comparison, like the FTSE um, UK earned about 11.7%. And uh, Shanghai is actually Chinese index is about 18%, and then Koski is about uh, slightly less than 10% of nine point something. So it's marvelously better, especially if you look at the return volatility, which is a measure of risk. S&P 500 about 12% annually, about the London in about 11.7, and the Chinese one is a bit higher at 18%, and the Koski is about 12%. So compared to the risk investors have to put up with. Clearly, the performance was way better in case of the U.S. And so, well, mainly due to, of course, the stronger economy for the U.S. and the strong labor market. But after the first half of the uh, 2019, uh, all the global investors just looked at the data and then they realized that the U.S. economy or the U.S. stock market has better uh, performance. So they start migrate to more sort of like a certain and better stock market um, this year. And especially with the high global uncertainty uh, presiding, clearly there was a big migration, and that I think has a big uh, factor. Plus, um, after the second half, the first half, the uh, the U.S. economy was slowing down a bit, but the Fed actually moved uh, to lower interest rate about three times, and that also contributed a bit to lowering the uh, concerns about the U.S. economy. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Just as we continue with these broad strokes of looking back on the, on the year just gone, um, the mm-hmm. the year started with quite a few fairly cautious predictions of a, of a global recession, uh, if not mm-hmm. within twenty nineteen, then within the sort of foreseeable future of two to three years. Is it then fair to say we're finishing the year with those kinds of fears largely dispelled? Well, um, I don't know if it's a largely spill, but clearly the likelihood was getting lower um, as the uh, the economic events and political events unfolded uh, over 2019, especially due to the phase one deal of, as you mentioned, like the U.S.-China deal, trade mm. deal was reached, although it's sketchy. So that kind of things helped to reduce the, uh, the tension and also the potential uncertainty. So clearly it you know, is lower. Still, we have some risk left, but yes. Yeah, I mean, having, though, reported on Washington and Beijing for years, this this tussle and the intensification under President Trump, it, it does feel rather 
unstable still, uh, and and it wouldn't surprise me at all to see the relationship get worse rather than better in 2020. So how significant is this U.S.-China phase one trade deal? So some people call it a really good news, and others uh, say it's just a temporary Christmas truce type of thing at the show. Um, I think it's both actually have truth in it, but um, to my understanding, what's important is uh, rather than using the rhetoric that we're getting close, but they both countries uh, formally uh, announced that they reached the phase one agreement. It is still sketchy and very temporary because it's phase one. But at least from the both sides announcement, I can see that they really strongly are in favor of saying something positive, in part because of political uncertainty and risk. But at the same time, they know that their growth rate have been slower and then slowing down. And also the U.S. cannot guarantee the best performance in 2020 unless they really settle something for the trade. So perhaps the U.S. presidential election is also a bit of a global insurance policy because President Trump is not going to want to be hurtling towards a recession when he's trying to get reelected. Exactly. So um, he has continued to tweet a lot, but I think after the first half of 2020, if the economy still is good, then they're going to just keep uh, just talking a lot about their performance. If not, then it's very important from the Trump administration that they actually have the ability to cope with potentially bad situations. So they will be closely monitoring uh, the, this situation. And then if something slightly goes down, then they'll try to put every measures, policy measures, to make the economy afloat. European Union could be an interesting focal point, actually, in 2020, and not only for the Brexit perspective. Um, so in, in searching stories related to the economic outlook for 2020, one of the ones that caught my eye was CNBC's report that said why political and economic crisis could move from the UK to Germany in 2020, talking about political instability there, but also... Um, ongoing economic uncertainty, uh, saying how the German economy narrowly avoided a technical recession in 2019. And to make matters worse, some analysts feel that President Trump could uh, really target the European Union in 2020. What What are your thoughts? And I, I think there's some um, important factors there. So even if the Brexit is going to be completely done um, now, because the UK uncertainty is relatively done, then I think the remainder of this European uh, certainty is going to still reside. And kind of interaction between the German economy and the rest of the other members of the EU can be potentially a concern because there's clearly some imbalances in some sense between the trade and within the EU system. So that can potentially be an issue, let alone their domestic political situations. And then again, the Trump, the administration can start attacking the, uh, the European Union for similar type of the arguments to China. Of course, the, uh, the positive side is um, there's only one Trump, so he's not going to be available to get engaged in like two, three words at the same time. So for that matter, I think the China situation is the first, unless that one really quickly resolves. I don't think he will have enough time to get engaged in the European ones. But clearly, still, there's some uh, chance that uh, the, the Trump administration actually will start attacking the European one as well. So there's some uncertainty left, yes. Let's just have one quick word on, on Brexit. Um, 
as well. It seems to me like if you're outside the European Union, 2020 could be a very interesting period for trying to do deals with Britain. South Korea might be very close to the front of that queue. Seems like it has already been uh, preparing the way with some pretty positive noises coming out of both sides. Obviously, President Trump and the United States are, are very much involved in that conversation as well. So th- th- there could be some positives there rather than focusing entirely on the on the negativity of actually leaving the EU. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so clearly there are obviously pros and cons of this Brexit. And then in terms of the fundamentals, maybe there are some more negatives than positives. So there are clearly... You know, it's it's very difficult accounting. But in terms of the uncertainty resolution, people are very fed up with the situation for years. And the moment that it's really um, over, that's going to give people the sort of the nice sort of like, you know, the future um, the planning period so that we don't have to at least worry too much about what's going to happen with this. And then that actually helps the investment decisions and also all other decisions. In that regard, I think it's going to be positive. Right. And I mentioned Korea being involved potentially in that situation. Mm -hmm. Korea is involved in all sorts of situations as an export-oriented economy. We do suffer when Mm -hmm. the US, when China, when major European Union powers, when when they cough, you know, we catch the cold, as they say. So what are your thoughts on, on South Korea's direction in 2020 overall? So from purely macro perspective, I just looked at uh, the IMF, the, um, the projections for 2020 for South Korea, and it was uh, the GDP growth about 2.2%. And the Korean think tank, the, GDP, the KDI, the Korean Development Institute, was like about 2.3% for the 2020 GDP growth. I also used my model to just quickly predict, and it was about the same, about 2.19 or 2.2. So I think it's consensus forecast. But this one does not use anything about the trade part, at least in my part, or um, the big important industry for South Korea, such as semiconductors and um, you know, the ship, um, the building. Those are actually in very uh, the dire situation, or it's a rock bottom price for, for instance, the semiconductor price. But I was reading articles that the price is going to jump up. So that kind of things can actually vary have positive news. And um, given the size of the, both industries um, in South Korea, it can potentially increase about 0.2 to 0.4% additionally. And then in a very positive scenario, I think we expect about 25 to 2.6% GDP growth, which is not bad at all compared to um, the previous years. So overall, I think it's optimistic, optimistic um, in a cautious way. Yeah, but if we look back at for example, the end of, of last month, um, more or less exactly one month ago, the Financial Times reported that South Korea was set for one of the worst growth periods in half a century, blaming factors like it's the true. US-China trade war and, and a tech slowdown. But if you look at the, um, the... Exactly. So if you look at the trend the um, over the half century, it has been continuously going down. So that's a concern. So the trend is about the, the potential economic growth. So for that part, I think that South Korea has to uh, really um, just do some additional measures because it has been continuously going down rather than stabilizing. Yes, it is true that um, the Korean economy has been uh, mature, therefore we expect a lower growth rate, but still the 
it's not rather about like you know the stabilizing to about two two point five percent range of the trend, but it's continuously going down. So that part I think has to be fixed. The cyclical part I think is fine. It can go up and down depending on the business cycle and the other countries' conditions because of this uh, export oriented structure, but. This trend has a lot to do with the overall the investment, the long-term investment of the human capital and other things. So that part, I think, really needs to be addressed. When we look back at recent years, though, there have been some pretty major uh, short-term blows to the economy. For example, in the last few months, we've had this Japan situation, which certainly will not have helped, even if perhaps it's not been quite as dramatic as, as some feared. Uh, and, and actually things look like they're possibly getting back on track towards the end of this year. Um, mm-hmm. we, we've also yeah. got, we've got like African swine fever, which hasn't helped the agriculture sector. We've had uh, typhoons, which seem to happen every year anyway, but that hasn't helped. If we go further back to previous years, I, I think of things like the MERS outbreak causing economic shocks. If we have a relatively smooth 2020, is it possible that we'll do better than than we expect, even if everything else remains the same. Those are excellent points. So those are the shocks, as you exactly mentioned. So and these are very also negative shocks. But what's nice is, not nice, but I think it's relatively not too bad, is, for instance, to, in case of the Japanese, uh, the sort of trade situation is, because of that, the Korean government, also the public, starts thinking, we have to invest in materials rather than just the, you know, the all uh, the complete products such as cell phones. So that can create the investment vehicles. It's going to have a long-term um, investment strategy, and also it has to incur additional cost. So it'll have some negative impacts in the beginning. But eventually, this type of negative shocks sometimes, in an ironical way, helps to boost the economy in the long run. So hopefully, and also similar for the swine flus and things like that. So usually when um, the bad disease occurs and uh, the pharmaceutical company starts investing a lot also, and that's going to have a negative impact, but at the end of the day, that can have potentially very positive impact. So negative uh, shocks should be used as like a very good uh, the, the reason to start investing and then more um, the, just leading to the innovations. Yeah, we, that we, way, I think it can have a very positive impact. Yeah, Professor, can we were talking recently with, with Jared Diamond on the show about how countries are sometimes comparable to individuals. I, I don't know how far we can stretch that, but certainly the idea that a little stress makes you stronger seems to work for both the individual and a and an economy. Um, and no, let's hope it's that very important. The Im- immune system is always it's kind of similar for both economy and individuals, and it actually has this type of effect. Right, I agree. Very interesting idea, Professor Hwagyun Kim from Texas A and M University. We are out of time. Happy New Year to you as well. Happy New Year.